Hey everyone, uh, Tom Wally here, General Manager of Corporate Traveller, and I am really thrilled today to be joined by a couple of people. One face in particular will be very familiar to a lot of you, uh, Jared Murphy and Paul Roos um, from Performance by Design. G'day guys. How are you, Tom? Great. Now these guys have come up with an amazing concept called the Culture Couch, and I'm very lucky to be uh, a guest today. So I'm going to hand over to Roosie, who's going to run the show, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about culture and all things associated with that. Roosie. Thanks, Tom. And yeah, Performance by Design and welcome to the Culture Couch with my co-host, Jared Murphy. For those, we'll just give you a little bit of a background, Performance by Design, who's doing work with, with Corporate Traveller. Um, what we, we work on is purpose, values, but more importantly, behaviours. So we really try and break down culture in a really simple form. And we work with all size companies from the small, medium business, I know which you guys deal with, and a lot of those people will be listening right now, you know, to some of the bigger companies. But for us, and Murph, I'll get you to jump in straight away. For us, what we see a lot is a lot of companies have a purpose and values, but really don't understand what's beneath that. And by that, I'll say, let's say integrity, you know, the three of us come up with a value and it's integrity. Integrity might mean something slightly different to you, Tom, than what it does to Jared. So what we try and do is break that down and we try and say, well, what, what does integrity look like? And we spend a lot of time in that space. And we're going to go over some of those concepts with you today, Tom. But Murph, do you want to jump in on that and just maybe give your little spiel on what you've done? Because you've been in this space for you know, the best part of 20 years. Um, and then we can put Tom under the microscope and we can grill him. Well, look, look forward to that. Uh, yeah, absolutely, Rosie. The truth about behaviours, uh, they're very simple. It's about how, how you behave, how others behave. And so working with teams, leaders, sporting teams, corporate teams, it doesn't matter which team, to help them identify what, what it is that we want to reward and challenge within our team is so powerful. It takes a little while um, to work through what is a behaviour and what does it look like. But once you get to that point, um, it, it becomes much easier for the leaders to reward and challenge the, the inappropriate. Yeah, fantastic, Murph. So, Tom, hopefully we'll, as we work through the next sort of 35 minutes, we'll get to be more specific around those concepts. But I want to sort of take you back over your journey. I think it's been about 17 years with the Flight Centre Group, including some time in, in the UK. Probably the first two questions would be, what, what have you learned about leadership along the way? And secondary to that, did you find a big difference between the culture in the UK to the culture in Australia? Yeah, I might start with that one first then, actually, Rosie. So the UK is interesting, and I'm sure you've all spent time there uh, over the years. And I lived over there, as you mentioned. I started out my flight center career over there. Uh, I had spent the first 10 years of my career there. Um, and Aussies have an interesting reputation in the UK, usually one for uh, hard work, but also one for a bit of larrikinism. Um, and I think uh, what I found in the UK is a bit more conservative as a, as a general rule, and the business community is a bit more conservative. The flight centre culture over there, I guess we brought a, a hint of Australianism to it. And, and we, we spent a lot of time trying to actually work out what the hell that was many years later. What, what was our culture and how do we define it? And we did define it almost as, as Australian, which is sort of like fun and savvy and, and, um, and uh, a little bit cheeky. Um, I think for a while we had a cultural icon as, as Bob Hawke was kind of represented who we, who we looked like. Yeah. Um, 
which which you know I guess as a, as, a, as someone of my age that was a, that was a big part of my of my youth was someone like him. But um, I reckon it gave us a bit of an edge to be honest, mate. Over there, we 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 took that Australian culture to the UK. We had a few Aussies working there initially, but more than anything, we kind of tried to pass that on to our British um, uh, colleagues and. They loved it, as most people do. Most people like having fun at work, uh, like uh, treating treading lightly and and having a bit of uh, you know being willing to take the Mickey out of each other and 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 get more than import, more importantly just getting stuff done. And I think Aussies are generally pretty good at that. So I think that conservative culture that was in the British uh, working environment and even our customers and uh, and in the suppliers and people we work with, they really that really bringing that Aussieism kind of really gave us an edge and. We won a lot of business off the fact that people just thought we were, they believed we were pretty genuine. They believed we would get stuff done for them. They believed we were very open and honest and we, we were pretty savvy with what we did. Um, so I guess what did I learn out of leadership? Um, I learned uh, that being able to fail is really important. Uh, and we, Flight Centre is very good at providing that culture. Screw, who's our CEO and founder who still works here, he's a big, big proponent of, of allowing people to, uh, I won't use the word that he uses, but to, to stuff up. Um, and, and, you know, and not, not be any major consequences other than a bit of mockery for that. Um, obviously if you do it continuously, it, it probably doesn't bode too well for your career, but as a general rule, being allowed to fail, um, gives you the confidence to have a go. And I guess that's one of the other things I've learned then as a leader is to go, if there's something we reckon we can have a go at, let's have a go at that. As long as there's a, an exit door, if it's not going particularly well, uh, and you can try something else. Um, that's, that's, that's a, that's a good thing. And I guess the biggest thing, and I, I think this comes from, I, I suppose it's probably a bit who I am, but it's, it's, it also comes as a learning is, uh, and the, again, the company's very good at allowing this, is vulnerability. Uh, and vulnerability is a, I, I think is a, is a really, and I, I hear a lot of leaders talk about it, and I probably didn't, wasn't able to recognise it until relatively recently as a leader, but it's just about being genuine and authentic. And, and if things are tough, let people know they're tough. It's okay if things are good. Um, people will recognise that as well. And I think that's that's a big part that I've learned throughout the years that actually being yourself and being vulnerable when you want to be vulnerable is really, really important as a leader and, and uh, recognising that's a good thing. Well, one of the things I just want to pick up there, Tom, is really interesting because we talk about everyone's got a culture and I'm fascinated when you talked about that Australianism. Did you articulate that? Because one of the themes that we talk about, Murph, isn't it, is we don't leave culture to chance. How do you articulate that Australianism to your 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 customers? Did you did you put it down on a piece of paper, or did it just naturally evolve because you had Australians working there? Yeah, it's a really good question, and I I, I, I kind of alluded to it a bit there. We only just literally in the last two or three years we actually put that on paper, um, and we did it with a session with a a, a, a guy, a marketing professor, actually he's based in Melbourne as well. Um, by the name of Mark Ritson. And I don't know if you're aware of Mark, but he has this session um, that we do around DNA. And we we did a, was a couple of days worth of workshops with him with all the leaders in Flight Centre from around the globe. We got here together in Brisbane over a weekend and um, including Screw, our founder. And it was all about telling the story about where we came from as a company and then what was important to us. And we did a whole bunch of breakouts and workshops around what that could be. And when you trace our roots right the way back to where Flight Centre started, which before Flight Centre was a company called Top Deck, which still exists, which is a, a coach touring company now in Europe. And Screw and his mates started that company essentially because they wanted to have fun, see Europe, 
um, drink a bit and share the costs. Uh, and, and that was kind of what they, that was where it all came from. And out of that was born things like um, ownership. So they were each given a, you know, they, they, they grew a business to be top deck travel and each uh, bus was essentially owned by a driver and it was their responsibility to make sure that bus looked good, ran well. They had to be mechanics as well as tour guides, as well as so on and so forth. Um, another one was egalitarianism and, and that was about, you know, everyone having the same opportunities and that was about, you know, that came from sharing a, sharing a bus and, and uh, everyone mucking in and doing the cooking and, and, and the like. Uh, and the third one was irreverence and irreverence was, which if you look up irreverence in the dictionary, it's not great. It, it, it sort of says you don't give us stuff. Um, yeah. But it was really about us taking um, our business. We defined it as us taking our business seriously, but not ourselves. And that kind of, that for us really started to galvanize what our culture was and, and what our core values were within our culture. Um, and then, as I mentioned, off that spun this Australianism, which was this kind of larrikin style behavior. And Bob Hawke was genuinely put up as a, as a potential uh, visual hammer for that because all of us, including all the Brits and most of the Americans, knew who he was. You know, the Americans knew from Australia too in 1983 and the Brits knew who he was because of who he was. And he kind of, Everyone, when they saw that, they went, yeah, I get it. I understand who you are. You're this sort of fun, savvy, um, slightly larrikin, slightly irreverent type of person, but you get stuff done, you make change. Um, and uh, and, uh, and that, was, that was kind of how it was. But that was, only, you know, that was only a recent thing. We've had philosophies in our business for 25 years, and those words have been used within that. But that, that sort of... I guess, distilling down of our core culture is only something we've done recently. Murph, Murph, can I bring you in on this? Because it's a really important point, Tom, for the SMEs that you deal with. Often, well, most of the time, they are small family businesses, aren't they? That, yeah. The sort of offshoots of bigger companies that they start. But one of the biggest mistakes they make, Murph, is not articulating what those values are that Tom just mentioned then from the guys that just want to travel and have fun and all that sort of stuff. It is one of the biggest mistakes this small medium businesses make, isn't it? What's your advice to them in terms of articulating those values that are probably there and most people sort of know what they are, but then all of a sudden they get too big and you've got, to use the Swans analogy, the no dickheads policy, suddenly you've got all these dickheads running around your company because you've never articulated those behaviours and values. Yeah, I think it links to um, Tom's point earlier around safety. So it's really hard to reward and challenge unless you make it overt and you articulate what it looks like. Because, because then, as you said earlier, my honest isn't your honest necessarily. So when I challenge you around, hey, Ruzi, that was dishonest. We've got no common ground. We haven't defined it in terms of behaviours. So taking the time to articulate it and make it overt is really powerful because it then allows everybody to sort of have the conversation, okay, what is discipline? What does discipline look like? What, what does irreverence look like? Because that could easily be misconstrued time. So um, having, having clarity around that from a behavioural perspective is, is really important to creating safety. And I think that sort of leads me to a question for you, Tom, is you talk about safety, you talk about vulnerability, they're sort of buzzwords, I think, in leadership now. Like it's, it's unfortunate when things as important as vulnerability and safety, uh, they become used by everyone who, who don't necessarily understand what they mean, I don't think. Can, can you talk us through 
how you create safety. Because one of the things we find in sport, and Ruzi will, will probably back this up in a moment, is that uh, uh, really high-performing cultures are a paradox because they are very, very honest. So people, people are told when they're not doing the right thing. But at the same time, despite that real, really honest communication, they are very safe environments. And it, so it's it sort of, it, it's, it's a sort of the yin and the yang in some ways. It's a good question. I, look, I, how do you create, uh, so if your question is how do you create that vulnerability? Um, I rec all I could really comment on that is, one, it has to start with me. Um, so I pretty much as a leader wear my heart on my sleeve. If, if, I'm, if I'm feeling down, I'm down. If I'm up, I'm up. Um, people will know um, generally how, how I am or how I feel about a decision. I'm not, I'm not very good at hiding that. Um, sometimes to my detriment, unfortunately, and, and not, sometimes not great at towing a company line if, I, if something annoys me. Um, but I think if, if people feel that they can comment and not lose their job or, be, or um, get in trouble for it or act in a way that uh, or they feel that they can act genuinely, they're gonna have to see that in their leader first. Um, it's a really hard line to tread though, because sometimes, you know, I'm not the boss of flights in a travel group. That's the, that's the CEO. And sometimes you as a leader or as a member, as an employee in a business, you have to toe a company line. You have to just accept that's what's going to go on. And sometimes you have to just keep a front up and go, well, this is what we're doing. And, and look, this current environment is a great example where we're having to do lots of really horrible things. And, you know, we've, we've stood down a lot of our staff and, and, and everyone knows it's terrible. And, and we're all, you know, certainly um, being as honest as, as we have ever been with our staff around the future and what we can do. Um, but it's, uh, it, sometimes you have to do things that you go, look, this is just the way it is. And you may not agree with it. Um, and that, as you, you know, a bit like you're saying with sporting teams, it kind of plays against, uh, against, vulnerability or it plays against safety because you're having to just hold a line. Um, and I'm struggling a bit with that sometimes at the moment because there's the way the company is having to go given the circumstances is not, is not how we've run it for 38 years. Um, and it's a real, this time at the moment is a really tough time to be a leader in many ways because you're having to do things that often go against your values um, and against what you, who you are as a person to survive um, and uh, everyone understands that, but no one likes it and, and changes their view of, of who you are and what they're allowed to do. So safety is a really tough one at the moment because everyone's feeling bloody nervous about their jobs. So people are keeping their heads down and go, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to say anything untowards that might lead me down a, a bad path. Yeah. Can, can I just pick that up then? Yeah. Have you, when, when we talk to people about um, giving feedback, having conversations. We, we talk about examples, use behaviours, give examples. Uh, can you talk us through a, a time in the... You, you must have had some terrible days in the last two, two months, I guess. What You've yeah. dropped 98%. I get, I get your weekly email, so I've been reading those. Yeah. Um, talk, talk us through some of the experiences or the examples you've had in that time almost your darkest moments, I guess, and how you how you got through those and what leadership characteristics you had to display and, and, and probably coming out of it, what you've learnt about yourself and leadership. 
Oh, look, it's probably a pretty easy question to answer in a lot of ways that, well, the, the moment is anyway. The, the darkest day was the day we had to tell our staff um, that we were standing them down. And we stood down in the corporate traveller business, we stood down 80% of people on one day. Um, and I did it via Zoom like this. Um, and uh, we had 450 people on a Zoom. Um, and I had to tell them all, I made sure I, I wanted... Uh, my camera on and uh, and I didn't want it to be an email. I wanted them to hear it out of my mouth um, that what we were doing and why we were doing it. Didn't sleep much the night before um, and got on that call. And to be perfectly honest with you, Jared, I pretty much cried my way through the whole thing. Um, it was, it was hideous and uh, it was hideous for a number of reasons. One is all you can picture is people's heads, uh, people's faces that you know, getting news that they were, until further notice, not going to be paid. At that point, there was no JobKeeper in Australia. Yeah. Uh, so it was literally, we're standing you down effective Monday. Uh, this was on a Friday. Um, and On a Thursday, rather. We're standing you down effective Monday, and um, we don't know what the future is, and we don't know how, how you're going to get paid. If you've got some annual leave, use it. If you've got some long service leave, use it. Um, and we're really sorry. That was essentially the nuts and bolts of it. Uh, fortunately, within a week, the government came out with a JobKeeper allowance and, and that kind of helped and that made us all feel significantly better. Uh, but at the time, um, all I could picture was people's faces that I know, that I've known for the last 18 years in the company. All I could picture was all the amazing uh, parties and, and, uh, and uh, celebrations I'd been at and awards I'd given to people and stages I'd stood on and, and, and congratulated and hugged people. And it was, it was, it was really horrible. It was like a life flashing before your eyes moment. And um, yeah, I was a mess to be perfectly honest. I really was. I, I, I struggled through it. And I, I, for the first time in a number of years, I'd actually written notes for myself on about the call. I generally just kind of, I know what's in my head and I work through dot points in my head and it comes out, but I'd actually written notes because I knew I had, I had this feeling I would really struggle. And um, I got through it and then hung the phone up and then just, completely lost it and um one of my colleagues who i worked with for years was on the zoom and was in the i was in the building at the time and she was on the in the building and she knew where i was and she came down and and gave me a big hug and that was all very nice but um i guess look in, in a weird way i think it helped people take the news because they could see just how horrendous it was for all of us. And it wasn't a decision that anyone wanted to make. It's the last thing you want to do is get on a call with all your people and tell them they don't have a job. I mean, it's, it was awful. Um, but I think it helped people digest the news that it wasn't coming from a, uh, from a, a corporate, you know, this is, this is what, it's not coming from a CFO and this is the, this is the ruling and suck it up. Uh, it, probably, it probably in a weird way summarized in visual form um, our culture. Um, of you know, caring about our people, of um, taking ownership for the decision, um, of being real and being um, being authentic about what you do, um, and I think a lot of people did come afterwards and go, look, that's that's why we love working here because we generally feel our leaders give a shit about us, and um, and that's that makes us be able to cope with this better. It's it, you know, and I think and we can go on about this for hours. It's changed a lot since, obviously, as this has gone on, and you know, people's feelings change about that, but. That's a conversation for another time. But that was probably the, in the recent times, that was the darkest, the darkest day um, by a mile. And, and I guess it was, and I wasn't alone. I know that I spoke to lots of people in other parts of the business who had to deliver a similar message to their people. And I think all of us were the same. We all just fell to bits and, and um, didn't really know. We'd never had to do it before and we didn't really know how to, how to handle it. But I think our people took it in a way that was, yeah, this is who we are. We are this culture. 
um, we do care about our people. So yeah, it, was, it had a nice weird silver lining. And it's interesting, Tom, because I think it's a really important point you're making because one of the things I've heard in the last month is, you know, how do you think such and such acted under pressure, et cetera. If you're waiting for pressure to change your culture or change your behaviours, it's too late. Yeah. That's the importance of culture. The culture is built over time. Trust is built over time. So these things that, Amir, if you touched on before, these buzzwords, it, you've got to really understand what they are empowerment, relationships, leadership, culture. And if you have a really good understanding of what they are, then when it comes to the tough times, you've built your set of behaviours, you've created really strong relationships with your people, you've been vulnerable in front of your people, and they generally feel like you care for them. You can't just wait for a virus to for that to happen because you have to build trust over time. Take, us, take that point of trust and in your own words, what does that look like and how important that is to build to, to build a great culture? Yeah, look, trust is, is obviously massive. Um, yeah, there's, oh God, the amount of people who said over time, you, can, you don't just demand trust, you earn it and so on and so forth. But I, um, the only thing I really can find in building trust over time has been being consistent. Um, so trying to, you know, if, if, if you are consistent with people, Across the board, generally you get their you get their trust. Following them up, uh, as in you know, if they if they've asked you to do something, actually go and do it, and then follow them up, so they know that when they tell you something, um, you're going to do something about it. And look, and again, I think a lot of this comes back to the personality of the leader in some respects. But I've we're, and we're very good at this as a company, I would say, as a general rule. We do care about our people. We do, we do spend as much time on their personal lives as we do on their work lives. And a lot of trust comes from um, making sure you're looking after your people outside of their day-to-day -day job. If someone's, in, if someone's in strife, if someone's kid's got an issue or their partner or they, they need to do something, affording them that time to be able to deal with that, texting them, calling them, checking in on them, generally people feel, and rightly so, that you've got their back. Um, and that, it, you know, if, if they, if you, because we do care about our people and if you do care about them, that they can start putting their trust in you. Um, but you have, it's a, it's a, it's, it's work. You, you have, you have to actually work at it. You can't just expect people to trust. And when you've got hundreds of staff or thousands of staff, um, it's, it is hard work. You, you, it's something you've got to work at daily. And, and you, you know, I, I over the years have, I've used prompts to kind of help me as well. Like I'll, I'll put things in, if someone ever, and I still do this now, if someone ever mentions anywhere on a call uh, their birthday, someone else's birthday, their kid's birthday, their kid's going into hospital, whatever the hell it is, yeah. uh, stick it in your diary. Stick it in your diary. Text, text Rusey, um, his wife's going into hospital tomorrow. You know, little things like that, because you can't remember everything, right? And And I think those little things really help to, build a relationship because you're not going to like everyone you work with. I'm pretty lucky here at Flight Centre. We do generally get along with everyone, which is really nice. But um, you, you, you're going to have to find ways to work with people and you're not necessarily going to gel, but things like that. I, I worked for a leader years ago who, in fact, was, it wasn't a leader. It was my headmaster at school. And on my very first day of high school in Perth, he came up to me, six foot four, yeah. wherever he was, in his black robes. And he said, and he, he grabbed my shoulder and he said, Tom, how are you? And I, I literally, my first day at school, I was like, how the hell does this guy know who I am? 
And he told me years later when I was a prefect at the school that he had physically gone and he, he walked around and asked his offsider, who's that guy over there? And, it, and I loved that man from the minute I met him to the day I left school and beyond, just because he knew what my name was when I went on my first day of school. I still yeah, it's a really, really simple message, isn't it? Murph, I'm going to bring you on that because I think one of the things people have a misconception about what a footy club looks like. And for those who don't know, Jared Murphy worked with Geelong from 207 and you can tell a bit of the story. But one of the things I want you to pick up, Murph, is what Tom said then. It's not just about kicking someone's ass. It's about them about then wrapping your arms around them. And I think footy clubs sometimes get a bum deal for, you know, Jared Roughhead discipline, Luke Hodge, or Stevie J got suspended for six weeks or something like that. But it's not as simple as that. A great culture then says you've done something wrong and we're going to help you. Do you want to take us inside some of those more public um, conversations that have already taken place? Because we don't want to betray anyone's trust. But that is a super important part of what Tom's talking about, isn't it? 100%. 100%. I think there's a couple of things there, Rizzi. The first one is I think we have to catch people doing it right first because yeah. too often we, we catch people doing it wrong. So if we can continue to reward those that are doing it well, and we always sort of talk about four to one, you know, four goods, because often we just, when people do it well, we just let it go. We don't, we don't say well done. Um, the second thing is the easy part is giving the feedback. So um, it's easy to give someone feedback that you haven't done it well, but then the hardest part is to support them through it. And we always talk, time this builds enormous trust. Give the feedback, help them with a plan, and then support them through that plan. Because if you can support them through that plan and provide the care that they need in order to get where they need to go and change their behaviour, then you build enormous safety and trust through that process. So I, I think you, your message around um, consistency is really important. People need consistency in their leadership. If you're getting consistent leaders, it's really difficult, really difficult. Yeah. What about Tom on that? How do, you, how do you sort of select and develop leaders? Because some of the, I mean, it's fantastic. The message that you're giving today is what we, the space we live in, Murph, isn't it all about vulnerability and consistency and feedback and little and often conversations. But I suppose one of the challenges we see, Tom, in the work that we do with small and medium businesses, like it's very, there is a dearth of leadership. And I say that respectfully because it becomes more transactional than than it is relationship-based or or, um, competency rather than character. How do you try and develop and select your leaders within your organisation? Oh, God, look, it's really hard uh, to do. The, and I think this, this thing's, this one's, the, the trait I look for uh, is initiative, generally. So, and it's becoming, and maybe it's more topical than it's true, but it, it seems to be coming more so the case these days um, with, a, with, there's some, you just got to look a bit harder. Um, when, as your company gets bigger, you definitely have to look harder. Um, and there's a general assumption from those of us who are over the age of 45 that, you know, the, the, the younger generation is just lazy and not doing anything. The reality is it's not true. You just got to look harder. Yeah. Um, and they just do it differently, to be honest. Uh, you know, they, um, it used to be if you wanted to show initiative, you, you know, you sent a memo to the boss or something. But these days they just, they, they, they put a comment on social media or whatever it might be. But um, I, I've always looked for initiative and people who go, I'm thinking about, uh, I've just been looking at this. 
and here's an idea and I'll generally go, that sounds amazing. Um, why don't you, why don't you come present something to me or why don't you write something up for me and, and let's have a chat about it. And Maling is a good example of that. She's got great, great initiative and generally says, I'm thinking about doing this. And I think the more you have uh, good young people with initiative, then the next phase of that is you give them ownership and you go, okay, that sounds brilliant. Uh, I love what you're saying. Why don't you take ownership of that and present it up? And if you can put them in a forum that where they feel that they uh, are actually getting some airtime in front of some senior people and or um, they, they genuinely own something, I find as nine times out of 10, people rise to that. They, they, they love it. And if they're not going to rise to it, they, they don't take it on and, and you, you don't see them again. Um, it's hard as a leader to spot young people because often I find, and I'm guilty of this, very guilty of this, you look for people that are like you. Um, and that's often not what you want. You know, my team I have now is amazing. They're all very diverse. We've got very, very different personality types, which is brilliant. It's exactly what you want in a team. And you know that as a leader. But then when you're looking for leaders, you tend to just naturally associate with people that you think the same way as. So that's probably one of the traps I've fallen into is I tend to find, I tend to hunt down clones of myself, which is not a good thing because uh, I have I have plenty of faults and uh, and you need people that are different to me as well. But I, I think I, I like your I like your three points there, mate. Um, you, you've almost got in your head a little plan for how to identify a leader that look for initiative, give them ownership, and then promote and train them. Yeah. I think it, even though you may or may not have that written down, in your head it's pretty clear, and I think that's a fantastic message for other people because often when we ask that question, Paul, the answer isn't as clear or obvious. I appreciate you summarising it back, Jared, because, that, yeah, that's that pretty much how, how, how it works. And, and I find that we have a great culture here where people will put their head up and it's one of the things I said I'm struggling with at the moment is people putting their head down because they're a bit nervous. Um, and that, that culture has promoted... Uh, I mean, well, let me ask you that question back. How do you do it in a footy team? Yeah, I think we train them. And I think to your point, Tom, it's a really good point. I, I think you can't just leave it to accident. You can't just leave it to chance. And I think the whole footy club was flipped on its head with, um, with what Sydney did in 2003 and then Jared with um, Geelong. What it became is a pretty simple formula of this is the way we want to behave. We talked about the Bloods culture. We, we had a two-day seminar. We came up with our behaviours. And then we picked our leadership group based on those behaviours. So it wasn't ambiguous. It was, and out of that, it was a real leap of faith. So through that, we had about eight-man leadership group and Stewie Maxfield became captain. And then I, I want you to talk a bit about more empowerment because it's funny, that's another word that people talk about. Empowerment is giving people responsibility. But so many leaders don't want to give responsibility, don't want to give their own power away. So then how do you empower people? How Can do I, you... Go on, Murph. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I, was just gonna, I was going to jump in there just, just, just to build on your point, Tracy, because they're great points. Often we promote through competency as opposed to character. Yeah. So... People that are good at their job, they get the they get promoted, and that's that's almost the opposite of what we would say. You need people who are good at their job, but but you need people that live the behaviours first. And I think if you can if you get that clarity around behaviours, then that that becomes super important. Um, <clears throat> and that's um, the the empowerment piece. Then, Le I think leaders are often okay at giving or empowering people when there's no pressure. Yeah. So 
But when, when the heat comes on, I think that's when leaders often find it really difficult and go, oh, the moment's too big, let me take it back. And I think that's where good leadership's really tested. And I think you're right, Matt. And, but, but that's the power of a simple system. I mean, you've, you've articulated it really well, Tom. A simple system allows a clarity around how we're going to act. A simple system of rewarding, four to one, positive to negative, as you mentioned, Murph. Well done, well done, well done. Okay, hang on. No, we don't do it that way. A simple system of vulnerability, of wrapping your arms around people and saying, look, I will help you get better. I think it's a really, really important thing. And that really was the transformational in a footy sense. You know, it became a really simple formula. And the ones that follow it under pressure, Murph, to your point, and don't go away from it are the ones that have been successful. If you look at AFL, like I was under pressure with Demetrio in 2005. We stuck to the guns. You know, Bomber Thompson was, there was an end of year review with, um, with Cookie. They kept, Bomber kept his job. Clarko was under pressure early in his career, et cetera, et cetera. So the ones that weather that storm of pressure and stink to that simple system, Tom, that you've articulated, are the ones that ultimately become successful. I know we've got a short amount of time left, Tom, but I want to talk to you about the other thing which you've sort of articulated, but leaders have to be role models, first and foremost. Tell us a bit about your personal brand and perhaps how much time you spend on yourself and, and what you value and what you behave and maybe looking forward to the, to the headstone. I always talk about this with leaders and Murphy do as well. What do you want written on your headstone, you know, in, in terms of leadership? What do you want people to remember you as? Because I think it's a really important point, Murph, perhaps to finish on. You know, the leader has to have a personal brand. The leader, and I'll, and I'll, Finished with Michael Jordan's quote, those who haven't seen The Last Dance, it's, it's unbelievable vision. Yeah, and he said, I didn't ask anyone to do anything I didn't do myself, which is fundamentally what we talk about role modelling. But Tom, for you, what, what, would, what would you like to be on your leadership headstone? Oh, geez. Okay. Um, I've always, I guess what's always been, if I go to my values, what's, what, what's, what's really important to me, I, I did an exercise a while back and I hadn't, I hadn't done one in years, to be honest, and it, it sort of distilled down that the two things most important to me in life were, were family and humour. And um, I, I lost my mum early on in my life or early-ish on in my life, my late teens, and it wasn't a conscious decision to do this, but I, I think subconsciously over the last sort of 25, 30 years, it's, it's, it's made me be, take life a little lighter. Um, and, and I think, uh, you know, people often talk, oh, you only get one shot at life and that sort of stuff. Not so much that, it's more just, um, there are bigger issues in life. And I think coming to work uh, should be fun. Uh, mm. I've happened to land in a, in a great company that allows that, which is nice, but um, I think it should be fun. It's, it's something you do these days, six sevenths of your life. I mean, you're constantly plugged into this, into this ecosystem now with mobile phones and, and wherever else you want to be. Um, so I'd like to be remembered as someone who uh, was a great collaborator with their people um, that kept work entertaining, fun and engaging um, for, for, uh, for everyone. But above all, was was a decent bloke who really cared about his people and 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 uh, and and you know didn't usually thought about what they wanted more than he thought about what he wanted. Um, I I spend limited time on myself, and that's something I want to change as a leader. I think I, there's there's development I need personally and professionally that I that I should do more of. But 
I love seeing people succeed and I love, and, and I've learned a lot from my children in terms of giving them ownership. Um, it's been a big part of how I've developed as a leader, because as you know, you know with kids, you kind of got to let them go and then they learn. And that's taught me a lot as a leader. And I think that that has allowed me to create that more, um, uh, to give people empowerment over, over their role. So I guess I'd like to be remembered as a decent bloke who cared about their people, who collaboratively worked together to improve everyone's work life, to be more fun and engaging and, and give them more empowerment over their, uh, over their, their roles. That's a pretty big headstone you're going to have to make for me. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I just ask one question before we finish up, Rosie? Yeah, um, absolutely. Knowing, knowing what you know now, Tom, what advice would you give to a young Tom? Oh, um, I think the thing that I'm always aware of as a leader that I need to improve on is, uh, is quick decision making. Uh, and I, I have one of these brains that can see every angle of every argument. Um, you know, I, I think if you've ever done Myers-Briggs or one of those, I'm, a, I'm an ENTP and I'm a very strong P and I, I conceptualize everything um, and I can see every angle. And it, whilst I'm comfortable with it personally, um, I know it frustrates the crap out of other people. So um, I would give myself advice to trust my gut a bit more and make decisions quickly uh, because often as a leader, sometimes people just want a decision. You know, they, they can totally see the arguments and they get it and they, but, and, I, and I've learned that you know, at pace in the last two months, you know, at absolute pace is they're like, what's the answer? Because often it's, it's their future that's hinging on that decision. So um, I would give myself that advice I'd probably also give myself the advice to um, not beat myself up for wrong decisions. I think I've learned that over time, but you know, you're always so conscious of, of uh, making the wrong one that you don't make one. So the, uh, both of those bits of advice are generally around decision-making. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I think lots of other things I've learned throughout it that, that uh, hopefully my younger self would learn as they became an older self. <laughs> Well, mate, I'm going to hand it back over to you, Tom, but I think the biggest compliment we can give you guys is we were having a discussion around what, what the leaders that we work with, and we were only having that discussion about an hour ago, Murph, and, yep. and what we spoke about, and I don't want to embarrass anyone, so I won't mention names, but the people with, that we're working within your organisation were at the top of the list, the absolute top of the list of our leadership chart in terms of what we see as leaders so that's a that's a credit to you mate and a credit to the people within the organization that we love working with you we we i talk about it all the time some people can talk to talk well most people can talk to talk very few people can walk the walk and at your organization what we see of you guys is you walk the walk so fantastic mate we've really enjoyed the conversation thanks murph and and tom i might hand it back over to you to, to wrap it up mm -hmm.